0: The Lord be with you, and tonight I want to share something that I believe is bigger than one night, but it is is—it's a vital truth, and I believe that we can learn a lot from it. Um, I want to read to give us the context of all this from Matthew chapter 21, and in verse 6, it says, And the disciples went and did just as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and laid on them their garments on which he sat. Most of the multitude spread their garments on the road, and others were cutting branches from trees and spreading them in the road. And the multitude going before him and those who followed after were crying out, saying, Hosanna! to the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And then it goes on to say how Jesus threw the money changers and mocked out of the temple. And then it says in verse 14, and the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he had done, and the children who were crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the Son of David, they became indignant and said to Jesus, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes Thou hast prepared praise for thyself. Okay, what is that really all about? And I know it is not yet Palm Sunday, and um, what I suppose is to speak of that on Palm Sunday, but I I don't fit that. So um, it's what I believe the Holy Spirit would say to us today. So let's go through the story and see what it really is saying you've got these crowds that are pouring into Jerusalem. They're doing so because it is the Feast of Passover, and they're coming in, and the feast will not be yet for another few days, but they're coming. This is the great vacation time of the year as well as the great act of keeping the Passover in Jerusalem. And so into that crowd, this is where Jesus arrives and and as i say they're pouring into jerusalem so jesus starts his journey into jerusalem and he is riding on the donkey and you remember the disciples had put their coats and clothes on the uh, donkey and jesus sat on that and then the people the, it is as if they are suddenly caught up in something, and they start throwing their coats onto the ground in front of the donkey, and they grabbed palm fawns off of the trees and began waving them, and as they did, they are shouting the words, Hosanna, uh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna to the Son of David. And that is a quote that was not made up at the moment. Uh, it is from Psalm 118, verse 25 to 26, and it is in our translations, as, Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, that's, that's okay, actually, um, that is one of the earliest translations of the word hosanna, is save now. But um, hosanna is brought into the present tense. Let, let me show you. Um, first of all, um, it is speaking of salvation. Hosanna, the word is a Hebrew word, which means to save, to save. That's our word salvation. And that really we could spend a long time on because I find that most people uh that I talk to here in the West, when you say salvation, they think of uh, an, an altar call in an evangelistic meeting. And salvation then becomes, um salvation is being saved from sin and saved from its punishment. Well, yeah, sort of. But that is a very pathetic, watered-down meaning of the word. The word salvation covers your entire being, your person. And so when I speak of salvation, uh, the word in the Hebrew and in the Greek language, it applies to your core being, your essential self. But it also covers your mind and the way you think. It covers your emotions and the the full spectrum of your feelings and response to the happenings of life. And it refers to your body, physical body. And so that is why in the Gospels the word save is sometimes translated save, but other times it's translated as heal, as in a physical body because to be saved includes being healed physically that's in the word that's what the word means it means prosperity which in the bible does not begin with money in your hand it begins with the prosperity of your essential person it means that you are prosperous in being a human being it means that you are successful You have discovered in Jesus Christ this complete union with God for which you were created. Therefore, you are prosperous. You are a wealthy person in the matters of the Spirit. But also then your mind is clear and your emotions dance with peace and joy um, and it extends into your physical life and work. But that's another uh, meaning of the word salvation that's right up there along with everything else it means one of the meaning uh, of the word salvation is peace or you might know the hebrew word shalom which is one of the greatest words probably in the bible for it means the total harmony that the total knitting together in perfection of my whole being and my whole being in and with god and in and with you and it covers healing of my entire person uh, salvation means deliverance and that that's not to be kind of pulled out as a special You know, people say, well, he's got a deliverance ministry. Well, yeah, I know what you mean, but that's a misuse of the word because salvation, the word, means deliverance, and it fits in with the entire God. We all have a ministry of deliverance from all that is oppressing us humans. And so, yes, deliverance from sin, of course, Jesus' his salvation is that he shall remember sin no more. It says he come to take away, and the Greek there is to lift off of you the sin of the world. And so, yes, absolutely deliverance from sin. And, of course, that includes the demonic, dark entities that uh, come to destroy human life. And so healing of body, mind, emotion, it's a word that means victory on all fronts. I can keep going here. Um, And so he says, Hosanna. And Hosanna means that word that I've just been explaining, salvation. Hosanna means save us now. Um, And and then it says, Hosanna in the highest, which is... uh, way that they've translated it meaning salvation, this vast word that covers the entirety of my being, come to me straight from the highest, straight from the very heart of God into my heart. Now, Hosanna, I said, means Save us now. Um it began, could I put it that way? Probably the time the Psalm was written, it meant, um, please, would you bring this about? That would you please save us? Would you please save us now? But quite rapidly, it it, it became um, save us, but in in the sense that you have saved us, and so from being please would you save us, the word Hosanna has turned to mean you have saved us and you've done it now. That explains the wild shouts and the waving of palms as that victory parade begins into Jerusalem. They they are crying, you have saved us, you've saved us now, and all that that word salvation means has been released into us right now. And they said then, um, the, the, the Messiah, the Son of David, uh, Son of David was another way of saying the word Messiah. And so they are saying, you've saved us now, and you've done it through the Son of David, who is Jesus, the Messiah, the sent Saviour. And then they said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were speaking of Jesus. They are say, so he's the blessed one. He's the son of David. He's the Messiah. And he is coming to us in the authority of God himself to bring to us salvation. And you could also <clears throat> turn it around. He's the blessed one who brings the blessings. And so they're, they're just absolutely going crazy here, waving their palms, throwing their clothes, shouting their heads off, Hosanna, Hosanna. Salvation is now. Salvation comes. Comes in the son of David, this Jesus. And he is the blessed one. And we welcome him. Come in the name of the Lord. And so they were, it's a a phrase of total acceptance, declaration of what is. And expectancy of what is to come. It's, it's a marvelous sight. And um, this entourage of peasants and children, as well as some more educated people are there too. Uh, it's just one roar of praise. You could hear it halfway across Jerusalem. And now, Jesus moves that procession into the temple area and I'm not talking about this directly so we'll be very quick that he went into the temple and the temple the place of praise to god the place the the central place in fact israel believed it was the center of the world that there was the very presence of god and it was the business of israel to be those who gave praise to god and as he walks into the temple the place has been taken over by there's no other word than wicked corrupt rotten to the core high priests Annas and Caiaphas uh, they belonged to the sect of the Sadducees which you might have heard of which were really the extremely rich of Jerusalem they controlled with their money and they'd taken over the temple and so now worship was a joke and you went into the temple courtyards and all you heard it sounded like a barnyard because they're selling animals and doves, which were the animals required for sacrifice. And without going into it, the um, that was never the place to do that, if it ever should be done at all. On top of that, the money changers were there, which meant that they took the Roman money... And they exchanged it into the Hebrew coin that could be used in the temple. What a racket. What a racket. And did you lose money when you changed with the money changers? And so they're sitting there. It, 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 it looks like a mafia fiesta. Um, and you remember Jesus goes in and with beautiful holy rage, he turns over the tables of the money changes and their money goes rolling into every corner of the building. I'd like to have seen that. And he opens the gates of all the animals and they're all rushing everywhere. People are running and ah, beautiful. He says, how dare you turn my father's house into a marketplace. This is a house of praise and prayer. And when everything quietened down, if it really did, uh, then the sick come and he's healing them. The whole area turns into one massive expression of salvation. Can you understand it now? That when he was laying hands on the sick and they were recovering, it was an act of Hosanna. Do you get that? Uh, salvation now is happening as he touches the sick and they are healed. Well, as that's happening, because the crowd has somewhat dispersed, but the children, and the way I read this, it's very, very much children. It says they were running through the temple, and as they ran, they were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. Now, look, I, I I believe these children had been in the procession. They had been part of the screaming uh, of the words, Hosanna. And I doubt they understood anything, really. Um, their parents were doing it. They were caught up in it. And now, like children they're probably playing the game of doing the procession all over again, or maybe just running like children do, and as they ran and leaped and they're shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. And so the the temple, can you imagine the great pillars of the temple and the um, areas where you should sit and meditate and pray are now echoing with the running children backwards and forwards and and they're all shouting, and it's echoing, 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 Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. And, of course, when when the these um, leaders of the temple crowd, the, the rich fat cats who pretended to be the holy people who ran the show, and when they, they're confused. First of all, they've been exposed, and they've, they've lost a, a very lucrative marketplace. They're, that that would make them furious. But you see, they didn't do anything about it because of the crowd. And, and Jesus, by this time, you didn't touch him. And, and so they're, they're now sitting back, licking their wounds, and watching... And in their mind, he's adding insult to injury. He came and he cleaned out our marketplace, and now he's filled it with sick people and healing them. And it says, wonderful things were happening, but to them, it's red rag to a bull. And then the kids, the kids, the kids, running, 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 Hosanna, Hosanna. Is this ever going to end? And finally, they go to Jesus recognizing that he's obviously the one who is in charge here, whether they like it or not. And as they go, they're indignant, and they say, do you hear what these children are saying? Meaning, it's time, Jesus, that you shut them up. And I can almost see the look on Jesus' face. He turned to them, he says, Yes. (laughs) Who who couldn't hear what they were saying? And then he questions them and says, have you never read? Meaning, I know you are dressed here like the leaders of the temple, but obviously you're not. So it's very doubtful. But I'll ask you anyway, have you ever read the Psalms? Have you ever read where it says plainly, out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, babbling babies, you, speaking of God Himself, you have perfected praise. And of course, there's no answer to that. It's doubtful they had read it, but certainly you you see this standoff, religion summed up in these men, um, and and they are furious. And all they want for Jesus to do is shut the kids up and himself to get out of the temple. Instead, Jesus quotes from Psalm number 8 as his answer to their semi-request, almost like an order. Now that's interesting, Psalm number 8, because Psalm number 8 is, in fact, different in our Bibles to what Jesus quoted. Um, Let me me read it. Psalm number 8, in the first verse, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is thy name in all the earth, who has displayed thy splendor above the heavens. From the mouth of infants and nursing babes, Thou hast established strength. And you did this because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. Now, that's fascinating. Jesus gave another translation to that psalm. So, do do you get this? Psalm number 8 that he's quoting, no question about that. He says that out of the mouth of these children thou hast established strength. But when he quoted that to the Sadducees, he said, out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise. So I can only assume that he is making us understand. Jesus never did anything for fun in the sense that there's no point to it. If he quoted another translation of Psalm number 8, he means that the one is explaining the other, that what it says in Psalm 8 is casting light on what it says in Matthew 21. So let's look at it carefully. In Psalm number 8, verse 2, Jesus said, out of the mouth of children, though he says infants, which are a step lower than children, they're more like toddlers, really. But nursing babes, they can't even talk. So it's really, it's almost a sort of tongue-in-cheek here, that it's out of the mouth uh, of these toddlers, almost children, and and the burbling (laughs) noises of, of a baby uh, you have established strength okay now let 's that that 's the original in psalm number eight. What does it mean? well, the word established um how can I put this clearly? It means the laying of a foundation of a great building or a city um when I lived in New York City, they were building. Some sky skyscrapers, you know, high rises, and I I could see the foundations. They went down and down and down and down. Um, these foundations uh, are—I mean, that's where the strength of the building is. Although once the building's complete, you never see the foundations, but it's it's down there, and it's building rock into it to hold it and. And so this that's this word. It means to lay the foundation. Uh, so then the word also means to fix firmly in place something that cannot be moved. Well, yeah, that's a foundation. But let me say one more time. The word established, it means to fix firmly in place something that cannot be moved. But it also means... Um, If you had a group of persons who sit around a table and they're sort of huddled and they're discussing, consulting together as they are the beginning of something new. You could almost say they are the um, builders or the persons who are conceiving what the building will be used for and it comes even before the foundation they 're the ones who are drawing and squiggling on paper as they are they're, 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 this is the foundation of whatever that building is about, and so they use this word too for that um, now that that 's that's exciting the kingdom of God is founded right it is in. It is in the love counsel of the Holy Trinity, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, that before time, before creation, the counsels of God, that the whole kingdom of God would be built upon not only God's determination and God becoming flesh in Jesus, but upon the human It is what I've said so often that this glorious God of love refuses to be God without us. He includes us in his purpose and he is saying that the foundation of the kingdom of God will be in the mouth of apparent weakness you can't get anything weaker than an infant and certainly a a little baby can't even speak yet. There's something funny about this. It's humorous that you are going to build the kingdom of God upon the lisping mouths of children and and the burbling, curdling of babies at the bottle and, and that's where the strength of God is going to be made known. I feel like saying you've got to be kidding, you know. Um, you, would, you would think, I mean, we're talking about kingdoms. Well, if you want to see what the world imagines kingdoms to be, go to the book of Daniel, and, and you'll see, remember the the head of gold that great statue and the breast of silver and then the brass and then the iron and now that that's ideas of how men see kingdoms it, it it's the precious stones and the i mean that's how kings and queens dress with, with everything to show the magnificence and if they don't have that they're like the iron that that shows I'll get you by the might of my power that that's how people think about the kingdoms of this world and here, you know, can you imagine the kingdoms of this world come together? In fact, it's in Psalm number two. It uses this same word when the kingdoms of this world came together. And, and, and here, the representative of the kingdom of God is a little child who is giving praise to God. Doesn't make sense, does it? What, what the world counts as power what the world counts as ability does not count in the kingdom of God. Um, as a little child, one, the weakness of the creature, um, creature human, but one who trust, completely in God and in a union with that God, voices the expectancy that we have in that God. I, I'm sorry, I can't get away from it for a minute. Look, we, we read it majestic in all the earth, displayed your splendor above the heavens. Then in verse 3, which comes after, I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars. it's, It's the majesty of creation, the vastness of space, the way the whole cosmos gives praise to God. And yet puts that praise in the mouth of baby talk children, baby voices. They establish the strength of God. And the word strength there uh, has in it, it, it's, it's not a sort of abstract word, the word strength means a structure. It means a stronghold of impregnable strength. And it's being built on that foundation. So, can I say it again, that the bricks and mortar of this great building that God builds, the bricks and mortar are the words of baby talk. And in fact, the word strength is not passive, and it's descriptive, the word is descriptive not only of strength itself, but it's descriptive of the act of strength. It is going forth of strength. It is strength happening through baby talk. So that weak, helpless humans are giving praise to God, and that praise is the strength of God. That praise coming out of their mouth is the very strength of the building. It holds the building together. And that praise coming out of their mouth is the force of God's strength and ability to stand against the enemy. Because he goes on to say that this event that's happening in the voice of the children is because of his adversaries and. So it means that there are adversaries and the little children go out to face the adversaries and they're giving praise to God with their childish voices. And what happens, That the words of their mouth, the praise of their mouth is making the enemy and the revengeful cease. And that word cease you know, one of the sports I have interest in, it may shock you, is boxing. And, and um, so I really rose to that word because that word in Hebrew means to knock out, knock down, and they'll stay down. It's really a boxing term, but I doubt it started that way. It says that you, that is, the enemy is not talking anymore. Because he's flat on his back on the floor and he's not getting up. And he he does it through the words of children praising God. So what, what Jesus is saying, the strength of God, which of course, remember, we're on the eve of the resurrection. Of course, the Sadducees didn't know that, but... Jesus does, and He is saying these children, their hosanna, is actually giving praise to God for the strength of God that tosses His enemies on their back. Strength of God is hosanna, and those shouts of praise are in the voice of the children. That they didn't, even back there in the parade, the adults did not realize that their praise was directly linked to the crucified Jesus and the resurrected one, who in that act of resurrection contradicted and shut the mouth of death and Satan forever. He silenced the enemy. But now, okay, did you get that? That's what in, in Psalm 8. Now Jesus quotes Psalm 8, but he changes the words, just a little bit, and it, it was the translation that was made of the Greek, uh, from from the Hebrew, the, the Greek that had their translation happened before the opening of the Gospels. It's called the Septuagint, and, and Jesus quotes a it, which of course some people today would be very upset because it meant that Jesus was quoting from what was then modern translation. Interesting. Um, But now Jesus uses that translation and calls it perfect praise. So instead of saying established strength, Jesus swaps that out and says perfect strength or perfected praise. Out of the mouth of babes, he said, out of the mouth of nursing infants, you have perfected praise. Now, what does that mean? It's interesting, interesting. Perfect, it's not looking at something and saying it is perfect praise. It means you have done something to perfect the praise. The word means perfect here. The word means to repair, to bring then to perfection that which has been broken. I tell you, this same word is used back in the Gospels and it is used when the disciples, before they became full disciples, shall I say, it says they were sitting there after a night of fishing and they were mending their nets. And the word mending there is this word, right? Do you get it? Perfect is is, as it's translated here, perfect. But the same word in the Greek language is also translated as mending nets that have been broken by fish. So, Jesus is saying here, out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected, you have repaired, you have mended praise. Hmm. The word means to restore order. And bring in all the equipment you need to function, so you'll be lacking in nothing. Okay, it's a word then that means that it's been mended, it's been repaired, it's been perfected, but also it's been restored to the use it was originally meant. And you have all the equipment now to use it, you're lacking nothing. So it means to bring something back to what it was meant to be. I tell you, it was used, this is interesting, it was used in um, sort of sayings, um, quips, conversation. People would talk about people being restored to their right mind. So they would tell you're out of your mind, but... Then a person comes to see sense, and they say, "You've been restored to your right mind." And they would use this word. They would say, so "There's this. You've been restored. Your mind is mended." So, in in Psalm eight, it says, "The thing is established. This is what it's for. This is how it works." Jesus takes a little twist on that and says, "It's been restored. It's been repaired." It's been brought back to what it was supposed to be. Okay. He says, you've perfected praise. Now, there are many words in the Bible for praise. Many. Um, I think I did a 12-hour series once on all the different words. But this one is different. This word, praise, that's used in Matthew 21 means, its original first meaning of the word is to tell a story. Now, yeah, it, it, the word means to tell a story of a, a hero. Do you Remember back in ancient days in, in Europe, they would have the um, balladeers, the people who went from castle to castle with their guitar or whatever it was called, uh, and they would sing their ballads, which were an unfolding story that told of the greatness of the king. Do you remember those chaps um, that's the idea it's you you are telling a story, but you're telling a story of the greatness of God, and you're telling the story of the greatness of his deeds, and you are also inside the word is the idea of a decree. That is, it isn't to God who was, and he merely did these things. This is the God who is, and he does, and shall do in this present moment. Do you get it? He used to describe the greatness of God, but the greatness of God who is here, who is now, and I'm telling you his story, but that story is not a past um what looking back on something that used to be but it's the story that is throbbing in this moment right now that all that he was he is and so the kingdom of god he said is founded and is founded upon humans who know their weakness but they know their union with the greatness of god And in their lips, which is like a little child facing a monster, but in their lips they tell of the greatness of God and they tell of who he really is and what he's done and what he does now. And as they speak the greatness of God, out of union with God, the enemy collapses. (laughs) He's silenced, knocked out. Can you put all that together? I know it's a lot. But that's the way it was supposed to be. He said that, that, that's, that's the way it was. It was established. But however it was established, and you remember right at the beginning of the beginning of the beginning, talk about before they began to build that physical temple. Do you remember what was happening? Back in Chronicles, it speaks of the tabernacle of David And do you remember that it was 24-7, praise to God. Many of the Psalms were written there, and certainly they were all sung there. And the singers were on shifts, so that it ran for 24 hours every day, every day, every day, for a very long time. And that was the beginning of this temple that they're now sitting in. Huh come a long way had been corrupted and now it's a temple as i said run by the rich and powerful who ran their market in the temple which scammed the people for everything they'd got jesus has just exposed it he's emptied the temple of the traitors now the sick are being healed in those same courts and in those same courts, the children are running, shouting, singing, Hosanna, Hosanna. Salvation is now. Salvation is now. And now Jesus is speaking directly to those temple leaders and he's telling them, God, you see, has perfected. He has mended. He has mended what you brought to absolute nothing. You crushed the beautiful purpose of God underfoot. You turned it into a marketplace. You turned it into a business. Well, God has perfected it. He's mended it. He's restored it. And that, that strength of God that in a few days will be the resurrection is already echoing through this temple and as the scripture says, from the mouth of children, to show you it's not with the powerful, it's not with those who think they can control the world with their riches, it's with the weak who are in dependent trust upon him, stronghold built on praise to God from the lips of the weak and the unnoticed that tell the story of what God has done and in telling, proclaiming, decreeing that story, huh, there is an energy of God released that the enemy just collapses before. Now, the, now these children, um, when, when it was it, there in the temple, it was children. Though, interestingly, not the infants that the psalm said, certainly not the nursing babies. Which tells me, yes, it included the children. And I am in no way saying it didn't mean the children who were shouting in the temple. Yes, it does. Jesus had a big place for children. They climbed all over him. Do you remember the disciples told them to get away? He was an important man. Hmm. Jesus only called them to him and laid his hands on them and had them on his knee. And they, they were never afraid of Jesus. You can never be afraid of the real God. Um, So yes, it means what it says exactly. But there is something that ran through all the teaching of Jesus that tells me that when he referred to children and infants and babes, he was not only referring to a literal child, but he's speaking to what a child is within society. So, put it this way, children, when you say children, um, forget the physical age. A child is is much more than their physical age. Um, Child, it, it is the weakest member of society It is the most vulnerable. It's for that reason that the weakest men and women among us will abuse children because they haven't got the courage to abuse anyone with strength. So they pick on the weakest to abuse. It's why men abuse their wives because the wife is too weak to fight back. And and that so it's it's stark stands out. It's a child. You're you're speaking of the weakest, the most vulnerable, the most dependent. In fact, a child is one who lives unashamedly from the grace of their parent. You you understand? um, They don't pay for their food. They don't ask for it. Except in, in the sense of saying I'm hungry, but that they are simply looked after by a human being that is total 24 7 givingness to the child. And the child will receive that. It's got no embarrassment about doing that. Um, a child G- gives no place to pomp and status, you know. Got no sense of someone's important because they're rich. Huh. Doesn't have a clue about that. Nor they're important because they passed that exam or lived in that house. Uh, and you know that black and white and yellow children will play together without even noticing their colours. They they are totally uncaring of everything that other people put importance on, that incidentally has no importance at all. Um, They're uncaring of what they will think or say. That's why they have no prejudice. They freely accept everyone as their friends. A child is not ashamed of being ignorant and illiterate until taught And therefore, is not ashamed to experience life before fully understanding its uh, meaning. And that's why they can wonder and unashamedly discover what they didn't know before. They are curious and are forever saying, teach me. That's a child. They trust without debate They don't edit people with suspicion or caution. They're spontaneous, without a care, and all things are possible. Hmm. Child, you go back all through the New Testament, Jesus references children, and I think he's speaking more of this. These that know their weakness, they know their inabilities, and they know... Their utter dependence upon the grace that they're being given from parent and adult, and they trust and they trust without debate um, you see what what is when we said the flesh, what is the flesh? The flesh is shall I say pseudo, you know what I mean wanna be, pretend, hope to be, adult. So the flesh is the pseudo adult, totally deceived, blind as a bat, deaf as a post, in a terrible darkness, but out of that darkness pretends to know it all, and stubbornly refuses to be taught. That's why many times um an adult is incapable of wonder. Have you ever noticed that? A child who says, Wow, they've seen something. Amazing, wonderful, astonishing! Look, look! Adam says, "Oh yes, I know that." Um, well, you've lost the ability to wonder um, because you want everyone to think you know it all. You've you've learned to be suspicious of everything and everybody, and doubt everything. And so, to this pseudo adult knowledge. Knowing is in, seen in terms of learning about something. If it's in your library, I know all about that. Um, whereas a child will leap into the experience and experience it, then they know it. Uh, and, and the adult thinks that the more they know about things, the more educated they are. Huh, sad. Um, adult learns to control others and grasp for position over others. An adult, in, in biblical terms, is one that they have boxed God. They've got their box, and they put God in that box, and he's limited to their adult understanding of what he's supposed to be able to do and not do. Because an adult has learned in limits. They learn the impossible. And they live the whole of their life in a little tiny tight circle of this is all that can be. The kingdom of God, says Isaiah. You remember he's talking about when the lion lays down with the lamb and, and he says, and a little child shall lead them. That's the kingdom of God. Jesus comes and turns us lions into lambs. He makes wolves into safe people. He takes the poison out of snakes and makes them delightful. That's the kingdom of God. And it says he's. The, it's a child, a little child shall lead them. And the prophet spoke of the kingdom of God and said, the streets were filled with little children. And Jesus comes and, and he, he says that you must become as a little child. That's all uh, interesting. He's talking to adults and says, you've got to grow backwards. You've got to become as a little child, because you're not right now, but you can grow backwards in, into a true human that has a childlike attitude before God and, and before man. And, and so the child before God did this trusting one, this one who delights in God, that this one who receives what he has without debate, that this one who is ever wondering at the glory of God, the child before Abba, the father, that child before Abba is a mighty man, woman of God before the enemy. Does that make sense? See, sin grows people up into a false adulthood and a false wisdom that began of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil when Eve looked at the tree and thought it would give her wisdom. But the grace of God puts that adult on the cross and grows us backwards into being a child in Christ except you become as a little child. You're not there yet, he was saying, but when you become as a little child, you've found the kingdom of God. Even the language that Jesus used, I've just said Abba, which is the Hebrew word for really daddy. It's it's the first word of a little child, uh, but it's carried on into adulthood with respect. But... It's, it's the beginning word, Abba, Daddy. Huh. Oh, look at them. The children, they run, they leap, they shout, Hosanna, Hosanna. They don't understand prophecy. They have no idea what the Old Testament said. They don't even know where that comes from in the Scripture. Of course not, they're children. They don't even understand the implications of what they're doing. And yet, said Jesus, they know enough to be the the people who praise me and their praise brings Satan flat on his face. That there is no power of darkness, no enemy, no revengeful that can stand before the praise of a very simple, ordinary person giving praise to God as they stand in a relationship to God which is blessedly childlike do you understand? Uh, As you, I'm I'm speaking. I'm a child speaking to the children of God. We are children. We we have believed upon Jesus. While all the pseudo-adults look with a sneer, how stupid can you be? But no, we're the children. And when our lips give praise to God, when we tell the story of the greatness of God and the greatness of God in our lives now and declare His greatness in the future, do you realize something is happening? It's not just the vibration of your voice cords on the air. Something is happening he is building the new temple, the new covenant temple, the dwelling of strength himself and safety himself. And out of that goes forth that which silences the enemy. Do you, do you understand? Look, I, I just said it, that the, the temple um, is corrupted. It's the temple... That was in Jerusalem. is finished. It's they've got they've got everybody in place and everybody has their job. But what it's all about, they've totally forgotten, and, and it's finished. And just in a very few days, that veil in the temple. Did you know the veil in the temple was approximately that thick? It was a man's span. Um, That's about, what, nine inches? And it was 30 feet tall, 30 feet across. And that enormous veil, which separated from the holy place where they believed the glory of God was, from the top it was ripped down, torn to pieces by God's hand, for no human hands could rip that thing, and it ripped and when, when it ripped, they found there was no glory there. The glory of God had departed. The glory of God was in the person of Jesus. The whole worship was empty, false, phony. No more praise. Now, a new temple, a new temple made of human beings. We are the bricks. We are those who are also the priests. And we offer in the temple... Of our persons we, we offer praise to God. It's the new temple. And the bricks and the mortar of that temple are praise words. They come out of our heart and they take on actual form in the spirit world. It's spiritual ability, the highest form. It is His God's personal energy released into creation. It's a divine energy on baby lips. These are the words that build the temple of the new covenant and bring the reality of the presence of God into the midst of creatures and created. Well, we've really just got to the introduction because I wanted to tell you what praise really is. But I think I've told you enough. Let me tell you this. Praise is not simply thanking God for what he's done. There's a a place for that. Sort of when you get a Christmas present, you thank the person. uh, And there's a place for that. But that's not what praise means. Praise is not primarily thanking God for what he's already given you. Praise is declaring the greatness of who God is, right? Declaring the greatness of who he is. And as I give praise, I tell the story of how great he is, how great he's been to me, how great he is in this moment. And it is praise as I look into my future And I see that which is not right. I I see what the enemy has done. I see what brokenness of sin is there. It is not now that I beg and plead in God to do something, but rather I give him praise that he is the God. Hosanna, salvation now. And I proclaim over that future. I proclaim over that brokenness that salvation is here. I proclaim the shalom of God is here and now. And you learn to look at what is happening and you look at what will happen as much as we can. And and instead of seeing the possibilities of a broken thing coming to be even more broken I confess he who has mended all and and in praise that's been mended in my lips i declare the salvation of god over it and prayer becomes a great glorious telling of what god is in the light of what sin and satan and people say is no that only, that's only in appearance. What truly is the real reality is his salvation has come and I apply it now to that which is in my life, that which is in your life. When I say I will pray for you, I don't beg and plead of God to do something that you haven't yet got. I rather declare over you all that you now are because he is your salvation and therefore In your life I proclaim Hosanna. Salvation is now. Let it be manifested. Do you see the difference? That's praise. And that is in the mouth of babes. That is, it's in the mouth of someone that in themselves can do nothing about it. In myself, I I, I cannot help but put the praise of God in my lips and the declaration and the decree in your life of who he is. And when you pray for yourself, don't whine at God, don't 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 tell him all the negatives. Rise to praise, to give him thanks that this is the God that's in this situation. Let your praise contradict what your senses see, and declare who God is in the midst of that. It changes your prayers, and it brings you into the energy of God's divine answer. And um, well, I'm going to. Quit there because to go any further would plunge us into what is going to take the whole of the next time we come together. So I declare over you that you are the redeemed of God. You are. That you are filled with the fullness of God. You are. The Holy Spirit is your dearest friend, the Holy Spirit is your teacher. The Holy Spirit is your guide to places you've never yet thought of going. Jesus Christ is the one in whom you live, the one in whom you move, the one in whom you have your being, and in him you are in the arms of the Father, and the Father loves you and kisses you and declares over you that you are his beloved child. You see, because that's the truth. And I have just given praise to God for what he is doing in your life. Because he's doing it because that's who he is. Another blessing of God who is almighty love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That blessing now rests upon you, opening the eyes of your understanding and plunging you into the great vast sea of his love that there you should live and move and delight. So I bless you into this incoming week, and that is the way it is.